Thank you, Nathaniel. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3. How many of you feel like you lost an hour of sleep? Anyone? My wife and I, we're planners. We decided, hey, we're going to think ahead. And so yesterday afternoon, I think it was, we said, let's change our clocks now. So we start getting into the mindset. We sent everyone to bed, you know, early. My wife went to bed early. And then this morning, the alarm went off, and no one in my house wanted to get up. So no matter what you do, you still... It's amazing that they say it takes you a, a week or more to recover from this. So I don't know. It's a little crazy. But Romans chapter 3 is where we'll be uh, this morning. We're going to continue to look at the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Last week we began a series looking at four simple words to describe the gospel. Uh, God, man, Christ response. Last week we talked about God and how God loves mankind so much, uh, yet at the same time he cannot leave um, our sin unpunished because of his holiness. This week we're going to look at the second of those four words, man. I've got to be honest with you, this one's a little bit more depressing because we're going to look at our, our true condition. Let me ask you this question as we begin. What is your opinion of yourself? Think about that for a moment. What do you think about yourself? Sometimes, even though we don't want to admit it, we probably have a higher estimation of ourself than we should. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this. Um, let's think about a time when you were, you were involved in a group photo. Maybe a group of people, maybe your family got together Okay, and um, it's time for those photos to come back, and you go and you get them, and uh, who, let me ask you this question, who's the first person you look at? Yourself. And then, inevitably, what happens is this, you look at yourself, and you go, ugh, that looks horrible. And what does everyone else say? No, you, it looks like you which really should be insulting because you would be like, really, I look that bad? But why is it we think that? Because we always think that we look a little better than we really do. You know, I mean, I look at a photo of myself and I, I think, man, uh, I look horrible. I, do I really look like that I have that little of hair? Yes, I really do have that little of hair. Do I really have that big of a head? Yes, I do. Yes, this guy's got a big head. I see those things, but I don't want to admit it. And you're the same way. Because even, not just our looks, but our, our spiritual condition, we want to think that we're better than we are, when really the reality is we're not. And this morning I want to look at the ultimate opinion of us, what God says about mankind, and it's a stark revelation of what the holy eyes of God see when he looks at sinful man. We're going to talk about the depravity of man. What is depravity? Depravity denotes an inherited wickedness that infects the entire human character. It's a wickedness that infiltrates every single person in, in every single way that we, is, is just even hard for us to imagine. Every part of our nature is tainted by sin. Every part. Sin runs through us at every level and affects everything we do and every thought we think. Our hearts are naturally bent towards sin. Unless controlled, 
we sin. I heard a story. This was um, October 7, 1969. The Montreal Police Force went on strike. Because of what resulted, this day has been called Black Tuesday. What happened was major rioting broke out. A rioter and a policeman were slain. 49 other people were injured in the rioting. Nine bank holdups were committed. Nine. They said in the previous year, uh, nine, uh, there, there, was, there was about 90 in the entire year. And so it was 10% in one day. Uh, they said there was 19 robberies at gunpoint. What they said was interesting was usually disciplined, peaceful civilians joined the mob and went wild, smashing storefronts, stealing, rampaging through the, through the city. Uh, it was said that uh, uh, they were hauling away with stereos, TVs, clothes, and while looters were going in and just taking whatever they could grab, professional burglars and thieves were going into stores and going away with truckloads of goods. See, what happened was, with no police around, anarchy took over, and the sinful, natural sinful nature of man came out. Now, we often say this phrase, we say there's you know, a few rotten apples in the basket, but the reality is, is there aren't just a few. We're all flawed. You know, today, people do not want to hear the diagnosis that man is afflicted with this disease called sin, but that condemns every one of us to punishment. We think we're okay. In fact, I heard a recent survey that was actually very startling. It was a survey of three major Christian denominations, uh, Catholicism, uh, Presbyterian, and Methodist. And this is not at all to slam those, those three. This was, this was a survey done of, of uh, regular attenders of those three denominations, and it was said that 88% believe that if a person is generally good or do enough good things during their life, they will earn a place in heaven. And the problem is, is that we think we're generally good. Romans chapter 3, I want to read the text today. You can follow along as I read. We're going to start reading in verse 9. It says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. If we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and, and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human beings will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Let's pray. God, I pray that you help us as we look at this passage, that we'll see our true condition. And we'll understand that because of our true condition, every human being Every human being deserves the wrath of God. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be honest with ourselves today and to be honest with you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
In this passage in Romans chapter 3, let me just kind of give you um, the context of what's happening leading up to this. And, and I challenge you to go home and, and if you haven't read it in a while, read Romans 1 and 2. But Romans 1 and 2, chapter 1, uh, basically God says, hey, man knew God, they knew all about God, and yet, uh, and yet they perverted their view of God, and so they began to worship the creature rather than the creator, and so God gave them up. God allowed them to go their way, and in their way, they did what they wanted, and be, but God says because of the fact that he, that he revealed himself to man, man is without excuse. Man can't say, I didn't know God. Chapter 2 then, uh, God continues on, and he begins to address the Jews, and he says, the Jews, you're no better. Okay, you, you knew God and yet you have forsaken God and you had all these things, the law, and yet you did not follow God completely and so therefore you are also without excuse. And so we come to chapter uh, 3 and he begins to continue to talk about that. And so we, the first verse we read, verse 9, it says, What then? Are, are we Jews any better off? And he says, No, we're not. We're no different than the Gentiles. And, and so then he says, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greek, are under sin. Now that phrase, under sin, is interesting. It's the idea of sin on top of us, pressing down on us as if we could not escape. It's the, it's the picture of, if you will, a big brother who goes and he's wrestling with his little brother. Um, you know, sometimes I do this with my son. We'll be wrestling and uh, he, he's, he's wiry. And, and he's quicker than me, okay? But all I have to do is sit on him. <laughs> and he's toast, okay? It's over. Once I sit on him, pfft, it's done. And that's the idea of sin. It weighs down on us, and there's nothing we can do to escape. There's nothing we can do to get out from underneath that. And in, in every single life, sin has won. And that's what he says in, the, in this verse 9. He says, whether you're Jew or whether you're Greek, or the idea of that is no matter what, who you are, you're under that, that, that grip of sin and that death grip. And then he goes through in, in verses 10 through 18, and, and he's quoting in verses 10 through 18 from other passages of Scripture in the Old Testament, uh, in Psalms and Isaiah, and, and they're showing us the sin sickness that we have. And we're all corrupt. Man is corrupt. He uses, uh, talks about the idea of the law later on as we go into verses 19 and 20, and we'll get there later, but the law was there to show us uh, that we are sinners. If you don't know what a healthy body looks like, uh, then you'll not know what a sick one is. And the law defines health. It's the standard which we see later in Romans 3.23 that we've all fallen short of. The law shows us what a healthy body looks like, but sin... Uh, it brings about corrupt, sinful, sick body. And so what we're going to look at here in the next few moments in verses 10 through 18, I want to look at the corruption of sin. And the corruption that every single person here has, has fallen under the power of. And you are sitting there and, and that sin is, you know, uh, the heavy person, me, in this instance with my son, that's sitting on top and you cannot do anything to get out. We see five things we want to look at. First of all, we have a corrupted wisdom. Look at verse 11. Verse he says, none is righteous. No, not one. Then he says in verse 11, no one understands. 
Scripture makes it very clear that no one understands. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Natural man can't understand the things of God. You ever, you ever talk to someone who's unsaved and you're trying to explain to them something that is a, a simple truth of Scripture and they're going, I don't get it. You're going, but you're a smart person. They can't. Unless the Spirit of God teaches us, unless the Spirit of God uh, shows us this truth, we can't because we cannot begin to understand the things of God. And that's what verse 11 says. No one understands. I'm amazed as we look at our world around us, the inventions that keep popping up. Uh, the human ingenuity that we have. You know, think about what, uh, what is t- created today. Think about, for example, think about your cell phone, what it's able to do that, you know, 10 years ago, if you didn't have your cell phone, um, you know, you couldn't do. <laughs> now, in some cases we think, well, maybe we didn't need to do that. But the, the ingenuity that this little device can do. Uh, but think about even beyond that. Think about in the medical field. Just, just a couple weeks ago, I, I started having a pain in my side, went to the doctor and uh, I had to have a CAT scan done, and he said I had kidney stones. Uh, and that's amazing that they could do this test and find out I have kidney stones, but then my doctor's telling me the size of the kidney stones. You know, I think, you know, it's amazing what technology has done. And we stand in awe of what man continues to do, but I also stand in awe at how warped by sin man is. That man cannot understand the most simple thing that God is trying to communicate We can understand these massive things, but we can't understand these simple truths about God. We'll not ever get it without the Holy Spirit's working in our life. We can't just simply pick it up by reading the Bible. It's something that's got to be shown to us through the Holy Spirit. There's a corruptness in our depravity that keeps us from seeing truth. We have a brain, and we can think, and, and, but what God comes into our life, and, and He makes us new creatures, the Bible says that we don't get a new brain, we get a new mind. The mind of Christ. And every person outside of Christ has a depraved mind. Not a depraved brain, but a depraved mind. But when God comes in, He begins to illuminate our understanding, and He uses our brains... And gives us a new mind. Someone has said it this way, the mind is to the brain like a song is to the piano. The instrument may be very good, but what is playing is dependent on who is allowed to play. Becoming a Christian should have a radical effect on the way that you think because you have a new mind. But prior to that, you have a corrupt mind. It says in that passage, no one understands. But secondly, we have a corrupt will. Look at verse uh, 11 again. It says, No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, if you were to look in the world around us and you were to say uh, that fact that no one seeks after God, we would probably think, well, that's not true. I mean, religions are everywhere. Churches are on every street corner. We were just thinking about this the other day. How many churches are within a mile radius of our church? They're everywhere. Religious temples are in every land throughout the world. And God God looks at our religious activity. God looks at all the things that we do and He says this, no one seeks after God. 
Because what happens is, is man is innately religious, but in all his religiousness, God says that man is seeking, but he's always seeking the wrong things. What it says, and it's an interesting thing, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the context is he's talking about uh, offering uh, meat that is offered to idols and whether they, uh, it's, it's real or not. And look what he says, but I Im- imply then, uh, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. See, what he's saying is, is our religious activity uh, does not mean that God is worshipped. I want, you, I want you to think about that for a moment. Just because you are in here this morning does not mean you are worshiping God. Religious activity is not equal to worshiping God. There is a lot of people that perform, are performing religious activity today that are not worshiping God. Maybe you're one of them. Because what he is, is telling us in this passage is by nature, none of us normally seek after God. See, unlike true Christianity, every other religion has one basic truth that appeals to human nature. And that is that every religion except for true Christianity has a work attitude. What do I mean by that? You work and you do. You achieve and you maneuver yourself into a position where, where you make God your debtor. Because I've done all these things for God, God surely is going to allow me into heaven. Because I have been all these things, definitely God is going to think I am worthy of Him. But Christianity, true Christianity says this, I am a sinner. I am depraved. And I can only throw myself at the mercy of the court of God. And if God doesn't forgive me apart from the merits of Jesus Christ, then I have no hope. See, that's, that's, that's what it means to worship God, to understand, you know what, I am nothing without Christ. Notice what it says in Isaiah 53. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. All. Notice that. It doesn't say some. It says all. We've all gone astray. We have all turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's a characteristic of sheep that when they lose their way, when they go astray, they never stop and, and reconsider their direction, but they just keep going in the wrong direction. You know, there's, there's stories about dogs that'll uh, get lost from their owner and they'll find their way back. Sheep don't do that. Sheep get lost and they keep going lost and they don't ever find their way back because they just go astray. And that's how it's describing us, that that's who we are. We never come to the understanding that we're lost. See, God put Adam and Eve in the garden and he had a relationship with them. And he established this, this communication with them. And sin entered and man detoured and went his own way and continues to go his own way. That's who we are. Let me give you a visual uh, um, illustration. If you were to take a group of five-year-olds, um, and our, our preschool teachers can understand this illustration. If you were to take a group of five-year-olds and you were to take them to the park, okay, what are they going to naturally do? They all, they're all going to go all different directions. Why? Because they all want to seek their own way. And you've got to corral them. 
Okay, but, to, uh, but that is what man is to God, that we all do our own directions and we all do our own wills and, and our wills are set against his ways because our wills are corrupt. And it says in this passage, they have become altogether worthless. That is a really, really scary word. It's, it's a word that means we've become rancid. Say, what, what do you mean by that? It's the idea uh, of this. is It's describing rotten fruit or sour milk. And that we, uh, by, in and of ourselves, we go our own way. We do our own thing. And to God, it's like sour milk. You ever come back from vacation and you open up your fridge and you're like, there's milk. wonder if that's good. And you open it up and you go, woohoo, no, that's not good. And you dump it out. That's what, that's what this is saying right here, that when we go our own way, when we do our own thing, it's, it's rancid to God. It's disgusting. And when you come across something like that, you do whatever you can to get rid of it because you don't want that smell around you. You don't want that disgusting stuff around you or anywhere near you. But here's the thing. Is, as we talked about last week, God loves us. And um, next week, I, I, I'll be out of town, but Pastor Nate will preach on how Christ came and instead of throwing us out because we're rancid, Christ loved us and God loved us enough that he made an opportunity for us to get out of that rancidness. We would never pay for sour milk, but God paid the ultimate price for sinful man. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 14, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You see, we have a corrupt will, and that corrupt will causes us to seek our own way, and it seems right to us, but the end is always death. We do our own thing. We flex our wills against the righteousness of God, and to Him we become as useless as rotten milk. Thirdly, we have not only corrupted wisdom and corrupted wills, but we have corrupted words. Look at verse 13. It says, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Paul is describing the communication of man in horrible terms, that our natural communication is a horrible thing. It describes it as open grave deception, poison, cursing, bitterness. We see other places in Scripture where it's described in similar ways. Look at Matthew. It says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Um, as, as a pastor, oftentimes people think, um, especially if I meet someone you know, out, outside of this church and they find find out I'm a pastor, they think like suddenly their, their morality and their behavior has to get better because I'm a pastor. And there's times where I'm around someone, and, and I remember this happening a couple times, where someone would curse, and, and they would look at me, and they're like, oh, sorry, sorry, pastor. I don't even know where that came from. And, and, and I don't say this, but internally I'm going, I do, you're wicked. I mean, the Bible tells us that, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is in our heart is going to come out. And we see this again, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. That is who we are, and so it comes out. We have corrupted hearts, and so we produce corrupted words. 
Look at the description here that God gives us of this. Look at verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. Imagine you go to the doctor, and and the doctor's trying to figure out what's wrong with you. And so he says, okay, come here. He says, open up your mouth, open wide. And he says, stick out your tongue. And then he goes, whoa! It's It's a disgusting, empty grave in your mouth. Yeah, most of you would be like, that's not really a compliment. That does not sound good that my mouth looks like an empty grave or an open grave. See, in Paul's day, before the embalming process that we have today, they would bury someone very quickly, rapidly, because they didn't, uh, it would stink. They would cover the grave. And it's an interesting word phrase here when he says open grave. Uh, it literally means a yawning grave. Imagine for a moment a grave yawning. A grave that contained a body that had, uh, had not been embalmed, and so it had, had begun this decaying process and it was rotting. He says in that passage that when we begin to open our mouth, it's disgusting. He goes on, he says there, that they use their tongues to deceive. Now, we don't, we don't want to think about it this way, but sinful man speaks, he always has an agenda, an angle. And that truth is hard to hear, but that word deceive is the idea of a bait. It's a de- deadly hook that is waiting to catch on to something. And our nature, our, our words are corrupt Our words without Christ are corrupt. He goes on, he talks about the the poison of asps is under their lips. We see in James, James talks about the same thing, that it's like a deadly poison. And it's, it's something that can destroy. We can't even begin to realize the damage that can be done by our words. It's amazing the power of the tongue, and it's even more amazing how often that sinful man uses his tongue to hurt others. Even as Christians, we do it. What it's saying is is that's our natural man. That's our natural nature is that venom of asp. I heard heard a story about a man who uh, one day found a, a baby rattlesnake, and he thought it looked cute, and it didn't seem threatening, and so he took it home, and he decided to make it his pet. And after, after he'd had it for a while, it got loose in the house and, and he couldn't find it for months. I would move, personally. But he couldn't find it for months. And one day, he was reaching behind his sofa because he had dropped something and, and the snake was there and it latched onto his arm and it shot the poison into his arm. Why? Because that's the snake's nature. It's natural for it to do that. You can't say, well, how did that happen? I mean, I thought he was my pet. No, it's its natural uh, way it was made. Sin's nature is the same way. And your nature within you, that sinful flesh that you have, naturally is going to cause you to do things that hurt other people with your words. And except through the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ working through our lives, that is going to continue even after salvation. It goes on in verse 14, he says, their mouth is full of curses. This has to do with blaspheming the holy name of God and wishing evil upon fellow man. And then what's interesting is that curses is wrapped up in the sin of bitterness. You ever see that displayed? I have. 
and I'm sure you have as well, someone who is, man, they are so incredibly bitter that they'll do and say anything to hurt other people because they've been hurt. And sometimes that's our our inclination because it's who we are inside. It's our sin nature that wants to come out at times and we have to stop it. And notice as we look at this passage, there are three areas that are mentioned. There's, there's a cruelty that is mentioned, there's a cheating aspect, and there's a cursing. And those all come out of our corrupt words. Fourthly, we see that we have a corrupt, we have corrupted ways. Look at verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the ways of peace they have not known. Man's nature is to do what feels right. Man's nature is to do what makes one happy. Even if it's the wrong thing, we do what makes us happy. I heard an interesting story uh, about the life of a man named Reynald III. Maybe you've heard of him, probably you haven't. Reynald III was, was a 14th century duke in the country that is now Belgium. Reynald had a problem. He was grossly overweight. Um, in fact, his, his nickname was a uh, Latin word, crassus, which means the fat one. And he was uh, a ruler in this, in this country, and um, uh, he had a, a violent fight or quarrel with his brother Edward, and, and so it created a, a revolt, and Edward revolted and, and successfully won. And so he captured his brother Reynold, and, and he took him back to his castle, and he did something interesting. He built a room just for Reynold, and, and he took him into this room, and, he, and he, uh, uh, he said to him, here's the thing, I will regain your title to you, and I will give back to you all your property if you can just leave the room. Now this would have been, uh, not been difficult for most people since the room had several windows and doors that were normal size. And the doors were not locked, the windows were not locked. But the problem was, because of Reynolds' size, he couldn't go out the door. So to regain his freedom, he needed to lose weight. But Edward knew that his older brother couldn't do that because he loved food so much. And so every day, Edward would send a variety of delicious foods over and over and over again. And Reynold would just eat it up. And he grew fatter and fatter and fatter. And he couldn't get out the door. People around would accuse Edward, you're you're cruel. And he said, no, my brother is not a prisoner. He may leave whenever he chooses. Reynolds stayed in that room for 10 years and wasn't released until the day Edward died in battle. It was said that they had to knock down the walls to get him out. I found a painting of him. It was rather disgusting, otherwise I would have shown you. It said that he died just uh, a few months later because he had ruined his body so much. And he was, though he was able to leave, he became a prisoner of his own appetite. But you know what? That describes, not, not in the sense of food, but that describes the natural man because the natural man has a tendency to do what we want to do. And in this passage, it talks about 
shedding blood, going to ruin, uh, and, and swift to shed blood, ready to run at every opportunity to enjoy sin. Every time, and every time that our, our natural man goes to the, towards those things, what does it say in verse 16? They, they go to ruin and misery. The idea there is total annihilation, to, to stomp something out until it's, until it's beyond recognition, to destroy it. And he says that, that our natural inclination is to run to whatever we can that is going to lead to our destruction. And everything man does in their natural state leads towards that. He says in verse 17, in the way of peace they have not known. How long have we been trying to achieve peace in this world? How many organizations have been established? How many treaties? How much money has been spent? And how many lives have lost pursuing peace? And yet we can't pursue it. The UN is created for that purpose of maintaining harmony around this world. And the UN gives attention to one area and then another erupts. They deal with one bad leader and another one rises up. Because for sinful man there is no peace. Because we have corrupted ways. And we always pursue our own way. We always do our own thing. And then finally, and this is the the saddest one of all, we have corrupted worship. Look at verse 18. He says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. See, the ultimate problem out, out of which all these other problems come is that there is no fear of God. What is fear of God is something we've talked about before, but fear of God is, is a recognition of who God is. The, the, the things we looked at last week, that God, God is love, God is merciful, but God is also righteous and God is also just. And because God is just, God has the right to punish sin. And God can do whatever He wants because He is all-powerful and, and He is, uh, has the ability, He's eternal. And because of all that God is, God has and, and can destroy you. And the fear of God is an understanding of that. But it's also a standing in awe of who God is. And here it says that natural man does not have a fear of God. They have no respect, they have no awe, they have no sense of accountability. The world is full of people arrogantly walking their way to hell. Parading sinfulness around, their sinfulness around, assuming that they will never be a day of reckoning for their sin and never be a day of judgment, that they are okay. We looked, we, uh, looked at this passage a few months ago, but look what it says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, describing the church at Laodicea. It says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I, have, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And here he's saying, that's the words of Jesus Christ, and he says, You sit around thinking you're okay, you sit around thinking, hey, we're successful we're prosperous we got everything we need and we are good and he says but you're not there was no fear of God the reason people act the way they do is because they don't have enough sense to realize that they will be ultimately held accountable and in our depravity we are so blinded to our own sinfulness remember what it said in verse 10 none is righteous no not one none I want you to look at this passage again and, and, and I want you to think about it this way. Verses, verses 10 through uh, 20 
are a court case. Verses 10 through 20 are a court case. And in verse 10, uh, the, the judge stands up and he says, what's going on? And they say, uh, it is the indictment against us. We are guilty. None are righteous. Not a single person that lives on the face of this earth is righteous. Then the judge says, okay, what's the evidence? What evidence do you have that this person is, is guilty? And, and, and the, the, Jesus Christ says, and God says, look, verses 11 through 18, look, here's the example. They don't have a, they, a right any in them. They have a corrupted uh, uh, wisdom. They have a corrupted will. They have a corrupted words. They have a corrupted way. They have a corrupted worship. So God gives His... God gives his uh, verdict in verse 19. Look what it says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The law was not given to save, but the law was given to announce guilt. You are guilty. As a family right now, what we're going through in our, our family devotions is we're uh, looking at the, the Ten Commandments, and it's a reminder to us as we read the Ten Commandments of how guilty we really are. He says in this passage, everyone, and, and notice what it says at the end of verse 18, in the whole world, not a single person escapes. All are brought under the same condition, hopeless. There's nothing you can do about it. It's not by works. Look what it says in verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Remember the stat I gave earlier of the particular uh, uh, denominations of Christianity that it said 88% believe, hey, if I just do the right thing, if I just am kind, if I just do this, then God is going to allow entry for, entry for me into heaven. 88% people are missing it. And I think there are many, many people throughout this world that are going through life going, I am a good person. And because I'm a good person, God's got to allow me into heaven. And he's saying in this passage, no, by no, by the works of law, no human being, no human being will be justified. None. So the gospel is not just who God is, but the gospel is man. And man is this. We are completely depraved. We are completely lost and without hope, without Jesus Christ. To hold on to the law or good works to save you is not going to work. To hold on to the law or good works to save you. I heard someone say this one time. It's like jumping out of an airplane and and reaching for the the parachute, but instead grabbing a sack of cement. Not only is it not going to help you, but it's going to take you down at a greater speed. Because we're guilty, we stand before that holy God that we talked about last week, and we stand condemned. And we want to say, we talked about this last week, we want to say God is love, and so God 
God's love is going to trump his righteousness, but then if, if that's the case, then he is no longer righteous. Now imagine if we went to a courtroom and there was a guilty man. All the evidence was clear. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a you know, closed case in the sense that there was no argument that this guy was innocent. Everything pointed to the fact that he was guilty, and a judge stood up and said, he's free to go. When a guilty man goes free, then the judge is condemned. And so if God allows us to go free, then he is no longer right. Sin will be punished. Sin must be punished. And sin will be punished in hell or pardoned in Christ, but sin will never be overlooked. As I said, this this message particularly is not a very encouraging one. Because we all stand condemned in our sin. But thankfully, as we'll hear next week, God didn't leave us there. God, in his love, said, okay, I need to find a way for these people to not live condemned and not be condemned because I love them. And so what did he do? He looked and he said, there's only one remedy for that, and that is that someone who is God, who is perfect, who has never sinned, has to come and experience this life that these humans have lived and experience it without sin so that he can be able to take their place and he can take every sin that every man has ever committed on himself and so Jesus Christ came and he did that for us and he and he suffered this horrible death on the cross and this pain and agony that he experienced and you know what the worst part was not the pain and agony the worst part was that your sin was placed upon him and my sin was placed upon him and because of that the Bible says that God turned his back on his son for you and me And that if we will believe in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, then God will take the righteousness that Christ had and he will place it on you. So now, no longer does this description here in Romans chapter 3 have to describe you anymore. Because now what God does is he looks down and he doesn't see your throat as an open grave. He doesn't see your swift to shed blood he sees the righteousness of Christ and that is the good news that is the gospel and that is an amazing thing and as I've said the last three weeks it demands that you respond and if you are here and you are still living in your sins and you do not respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ you are condemned But if you are here and you have placed your faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, then here's what I need to say to you. Don't live anymore under the power and under the pressure of that sin. Because God has taken that load off of you. Now, if we're not careful, that old flesh is going to keep wanting to pop up. But the power of Christ can overcome it. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for your word and the truths of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to see what it is that you have for us. Lord, I pray for any in here who have been maybe living a religious life 
They're trying to earn their own way to heaven. I pray that you help them to see that they can't. There's nothing that we can do that makes us worthy of heaven. Nothing. It is only through what Jesus Christ did. Lord, if there's any in here that have not accepted that, have not come to that place where they acknowledge that truth, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will convict them, that he will lead them to it, and he will show them that. Lord, please work. Lord, but for us as Christians, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to see that we are no longer under that power of sin because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And so if we're allowing sin in our life, we're not living in a victorious way that God wants us to. And I pray that you will help us to fight against it and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives so that we can overcome the sin's effects that are still lingering in our life. Thank you for all you've done. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.